Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank God. Thank you, Karen. Hey, let me continue, y'all, because the story keeps going. So listen to this. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountains, a great crowd met him. Just then, a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. Suddenly, a spirit seizes him, and all at once, he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, you faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded. At the greatness of God. Amen. So that's Act 2. Um, welcome to Transfiguration Sunday, uh, or the Sunday that we come to worship because maybe we didn't get invited to Mardi Gras thing. I don't know. I looked at my, I looked at my, I looked at the, the Facebook thing and I thought, Lord, I think it's just going to be staff only today. So I'm, I'm glad that, I'm glad that you showed up. And then to pile on, what, when's first pitch? What's first pitch today? At Pete. What? Ooh, I'll hurry, y'all. I'm going to reward you. I'm going to reward you for coming um, with a short sermon. I'm going to uh, get right to the point. Um, hearing God's echo. Um, you'll see on your worship guides that there's a big, beautiful picture of the mountain. The mountaintop experience. When I see this, I think of John Denver, you know, Rocky Mountain High, Colorado. Um, don't you just love mountaintop experiences? Some of you got them at youth retreats or maybe, uh, maybe you heard a sermon one time that got to you and grabbed you by the throat or maybe in your own devotionals you were reading something or reading a book or hearing the story of another, but some, somebody took you up to the top of the mountain and... The church and scripture says that this 
that these mountaintop experiences are intentional. They are gifts from God anytime, anything that takes your breath away and reminds you of the sheer power and glory of God, that you've been given a great gift by God. Rocky Mountain High, Colorado. And Transfiguration is every single, uh, every year we celebrate Transfiguration before we go into Lent, right? The season of Lent. And we go through the 40 days of preparation for Lent. This story is so important. This Transfiguration story is so important that um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three synoptic gospels, all three tell the story, and all three um, follow that story with the story of this son who is possessed, who's foaming at the mouth, who is in trouble down in the valley at the bottom of the hill. Now, if you want to know all the big, uh, the big words or the, big, the, the, the sort of seminary answers to what transfiguration is all about or what that big you know, mountain story is, it, it would be this. And so I'm going to try to say it in my, my radio voice, I guess, or professor voice. It reveals Christ's divine nature. It confirms his sonship. It foreshadows his death. It secures his place in Israel's salvific history. It exalts Jesus above the law and the prophets. And it prefigures his resurrection. Those, those are thick theological words that, you know, I don't know. It's so lofty sometimes I have a hard time grasping it. But they're true and it's, and it's good. Thick theological stuff. And then, of course, all three Gospels and the synoptics. It's the boy down at the bottom of the hill, right, that serves as a prop to point uh, that mountaintop experiences aren't meant to last, right? Cue Peter's bumbling uh, response. It was almost like embarrassing. Luke says, Luke says, well, he didn't know what he was saying or something like that, right? It almost qualifies his... Because Luke is so amazed by this mountaintop experience, he wants to, what, stay there. Let's just build some tents. Let, let, let's camp out. Let's stay here a little bit longer, right? But... And, and, and y'all, I've, I usually preach that nine out of ten times when I preach transfiguration. Love the mountaintop experiences, but you can't stay there. Better go down the hill. That's where Jesus is. That's where the glory is. We can't just stay on the top of the mountaintop if we want to follow Jesus. Because Jesus is not staying there. I don't have any particular arguments against that line of preaching. I'll preach it again in the future sometime. But... It's hitting me in a different way, maybe this week, because of all the stress that a lot of us uh, have been under. Um, maybe this week it's hard for my, for, to see myself in the clouds or on the top of the mountain. I feel pretty earthbound. So here's what I'd like to know. Here's what I'd like to know today, based on where maybe we've been and I've been. If you've had a tough week... How does glory on the mountain speak to agony in the valley? How does glory on the mountain, your glory, speak to the agony on the valley? And what does it mean that they share the same landscape? Can a love song or an awesome experience at the top of the mountain reach at the depths of the valley where people are screaming and drowning it out? I wonder how the crowd below experienced the transfiguration. 
Did they, did they hear thunder on the top of the mountain when they were far away down in the valley? Did a light, did clouds part and light come down? What was it like to maybe, did they even notice that there was something going on at the top of the mountain? Well, we'll never know that, but we do know this. Only three of the twelve disciples got to experience the transfiguration. Only three. They were the ones on the top of the mountain. There were nine more dis- disciples that, uh, of Jesus who spent that night in futility and in darkness where things got very messy and desperate at the foot at the valley of the shadow of death. They were trying in vain to help a man, a desperate father trying to save his son, pleading with anybody, help me, this is my son. And in the valley, in the shadow casted, um, maybe there was a, a bright light from the mountaintop and maybe not. But I know this, in the dark soil of the dark, dark valley at the bottom of the mountain, there was shame and anger and guilt. First of all, for those nine disciples that couldn't get it done without Jesus. They were embarrassed, I'm sure. They were trying to help. And I know that there were a lot of people at the bottom of the hill that could, were aching for the presence of Jesus and didn't get it until the next day. Next day. Only a select few reached the pinnacle that night and basked in His glory. Now, I tend to interpret Bible stories, you probably do too, in terms of like my experience, right? Like my mountaintop experience, my valley, my relationship with God. But y'all, that can be dangerous and a little bit misguided because of this. The truth is, is that my mountaintop experience sits right next to your valley. The truth is that your joy does not cancel out my pain. The truth is that it's entirely possible for you to sit in a church on a Sunday morning basking in the glory of God when somebody two rows over is aching and feels like Jesus is absent. I mean, I'm talking about good people who wonder where God is in the pain of their life, who are trying to figure out how to silence the frenzied spirit down below. In our North American context, we've got it all, right? We deal and suffer from, all of us, affluenza. You know, I heard the saying the other day is that if you are starving, you've got one problem. And if you've got food, you've got a million problems. So here we are in North America with really more than we we need, only a few hundred miles from the poorest country in the hemisphere. And what would that be? It would be Haiti. We've got people, Christians in North America, celebrating that their cholesterol count came down at the same time that people, Christians in Haiti, are noticing the bulge in the belly of their child. And it's not because they're overeating, but because they are dying of malnutrition. And yet, and yet, some would argue that there are people in Haiti that are happier There are Christians in Haiti that are happier than North Americans could ever dream because of community and love and support and sharing our joy. Where does does your agony meet somebody else's joy? Where does their joy meet your agony? Y'all, it seems so unfair 
because we're not all at the same altitude at the same time. And it is unfair. But that's the point. I think that's the point of transfiguration. That it's the world we live in. You know what your grandmother told you. You want fair? That's where you get cotton candy. But otherwise, life is not fair. Life is not fair at all. To say that this is all unfair is completely beside the point. And so here's the great challenge of the Christian life, and then we're going to break bread together. The great challenge to us, the church, is can we speak glory to agony? And can we speak agony to glory? Can we hold the mountain and the valley in faithful tension with each other, denying neither but embracing both? Can we do this hard, hard work out of pure love for each other, whether we feel high as a kite or down in the ditch? How can we share really the only thing that's permanent, right, is love, God's love. Everything else is impermanent. Everything else in my life changes. The only thing I can count on, I think, is God's love. And hopefully the count on that love seeping through all of us for each other, with each other, to God and back down. Everything else changes. Yes, Jesus came down the mountain. He finally healed that poor boy. But don't discount those hours of agony and suffering either. That would be to try to give Christianity easy answers and soft edges. And that's just not the way even our faith works. But here's the thing. The echo down at the bottom is that there is not one father with one son in this story. There are two fathers with two sons in this story. And if we listen closely, we'll hear God's voice in the agony of the Father's voice down at the valley. Because we know that's where, that's where Jesus is going. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. The son would later say, Father, let this pass from me. But if, if it can't, not my will, but your will done. Now Mark, the gospel of Mark, is my favorite telling of this story because Mark shares the most powerful prayer, I think, in the entire Bible. The Father is pleading to Jesus and he says this, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that is the most authentic and powerful description of the Christian life I know. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He didn't find the strength to share those words in that prayer in the clouds at the top of the mountain. That was forged in suffering. So with Transfigure Sunday, we come to the beginning of Lent. We turn our face to Jerusalem. Having seen the light of Epiphany, we prepare now for this long 40-day darkness of Lent. And I don't know what voices will speak to you. In the wilderness. Maybe you'll hear the glory. Maybe you'll hear the agony. Maybe we'll hear each other. But whatever you hear, don't flinch. It's what you were meant to hear. Whether glory or agony. Both voices have so much to teach us. So, don't worry about where you hear the voice. Just know you heard it and believe it.
Because both voices are the agonizing voice of a father who loves his only son. Let's pray. God, as we prepare for the bread and the cup, certainly it is your agony and your glory all wrapped into one. Help us, O oh Lord. Help us to hear your voice, whether on the mountaintop or in the valley. And help us to never forget the times that we've heard your voice. Hold us and keep us as we break bread together. We need it more than ever. In your name we pray. Amen.